Welcome to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. We want to encourage, equip, and connect those with a passion to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Student ministry can be a lonely place. You might even feel like you're the only one in your church or community that cares about students. Well, know this, you're not alone. People all across the country are engaging Gen Z and care deeply about the spiritual direction of these young men and women. Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you. Welcome back to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. My name is Dan Carson. I've got with me my friend, Chris Vines. Hey, Dan. It's good to be with you again. Hey, Chris. It is the first of the school year um, for many of us, if you're listening to this as it's released. But I uh, just want to ask, what are some of your favorite things about the first of the school year? Recess. I love recess nice. and nap time <laughs> and uh, snacks. And uh, when the bell for the last time of the day, I didn't say that right, rings. So and uh, <laughs> I, I'm hearing that. I'm saying that because I'm hearing that from my first grader. Uh, that's, that's his favorite part about school. You but uh, no, I, man, I love, as I've mentioned before on our, our podcast, we have a Christian school as part of our church, our, our largest ministry in our community. And uh, I'm, I'm honored to, to be a part of, of that school. And so, man, it, it's life is kind of back to normal, if, if that makes sense around our place now. I mean, kids are back. We've got, you know, an extra 200 people on campus now. And you know, that comes with its difficulties, but it also comes with a lot of joy. So I just love, I love having everyone back. I love the start of, of the new year. You bet. And well, here in Northwest Arkansas, especially in Fayetteville, where my church is located, we're dealing with the nearly 30,000 college students that are back on the campus at the University of Arkansas. So yeah. That's a great thing. I love the energy that it brings, especially as Razorback football gets back underway. But there's also, well, every time I get on the highway or go to a store, you know, there, there's some hassles there. But we love those students. We're excited about seeing them uh, back in Northwest Arkansas. Well, one of the other schools in Arkansas that I want you to check out is our podcast partner. That's Central Baptist College of Conway. It is challenging, engaging, and inspiring, and I just encourage you to check them out at cbc.edu. Their school year is back underway, so you want to be thinking about the spring semester or next fall, contact their admissions team. They'd be more than happy to help you as you talk with your students about their next steps in their education. Again, that's cbc.edu. Well, on today's podcast, we have a special guest. His name is Eric Johnson. Eric is a, an author, and he's just released a new book, and we'll be talking about that. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Well, Eric works with Mormonism Research Ministry and has written and co-authored several books, including Answering Mormons' Questions, Mormonism 101, uh, and Sharing the Good News with Mormons. His new book is Introducing Christianity to Mormons, a practical and comparative guide to what the Bible teaches. Eric, where are you located at in our country? I'm in uh, Sandy, Utah, which is in Salt Lake County. Uh, we're about 20 minutes away from Salt Lake City, the center of where Mormonism lives. Well, and for us, especially for those of our of us that are in the South, like Chris and myself, we think of Utah as that being 
uh, Mormon country. But there is a question that I have that I want to kind of get out of the way. Is that word, Mormon? Um, I know that we're talking about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I've seen them use Latter-day Saints or LDS. The word Mormon, is that offensive to those that hold those beliefs? Well, Dan, that's a good question because for many, many years, the church uh, leaders themselves used the term. Gordon B. Hinckley wrote a book, What About the Mormons, in the 1940s. But there is a current prophet of the church. He's the top leader, 17th President Russell M. Nelson. He's in his late 90s, but he believes that he hears from God, especially at night. He gets impressions from God on what to do. And he declared in 2018 that Jesus is offended whenever nicknames are used in place of the church's full name, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They actually had a great marketing symbol. I mean, Mormon is how the people were known. And he says Jesus is offended whenever the word Mormon is used. So you're not allowed to use that anymore as a Latter-day Saint. They asked the media to not use LDS, Mormonism. They'd rather you call the church, if you want to shorten it, to the Church of Jesus Christ. And that's their website now, churchofjesuschrist.org. They used to have lds.org and mormon.org. Now those forward to that uh, place. But I'm going to say this book, Introducing Christianity and Mormonisms, is a controversial title in a sense because introducing Christianity, Latter-day Saints believe they are Christians, and they'll tell you that they are. And then to Mormons, well, wait a minute, I thought we weren't supposed to use that anymore. Well... I'm not sure what the Latter-day Saint wants me to do with the title of a book and four words to explain (laughs) what this is to a Christian audience, but introducing Christianity, I'm certainly not talking about Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy. It's published by Harvest House, which is an evangelical Christian publisher. So obviously I'm talking about Bible-believing Christianity. And then then to Mormons, they want me to say this for my title, Introducing Biblical Christianity to Members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Obviously, that's too unwieldy, and the Christian audience is not going to quite know what that is all about. What in the world does that mean? And so I'm not trying to offend Mormons. In fact, I've written it for Christians, but it's also a book I'm hoping that a person could give to their LDS friend and be able to say, hey, would you like to know more about what Christianity teaches? So not trying to be disrespectful, but four years ago, the church is supposed to not use that term anymore. Okay. Well, that that helps us as we reach out and love and care and concern for those uh, that accept and and maintain those beliefs so we can talk with them. Hey, one of the things that we love to do with our our guests is to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. Uh, Tell us how you met Jesus. I was uh, 10 years old in 1972 watching uh, Billy Graham on television, Uh, and uh, I had gone to a church that really didn't talk much about giving your life over to the Lord, and yet I went to church on a weekly basis and later was involved in catechism and that kind of thing. And I asked my parents, well, why are those people, I think it was New York, actually I think it was Yankee Stadium, and they were uh, being invited by Billy Graham to come forward and to give their lives, is what he said. And, and I asked them, what in, the, what in the world does that mean, give your life? And they said, well, you know, you pray and, and ask Jesus into your heart. So it, when I was 10 years old, I said, well, what if I did that? And they said, that'd be great. So I prayed at that time. I was a Christian, I believe, before I said that prayer, but I just thought that was kind of cool that I'd never seen anything like that before. That's awesome. I love that, uh, that it was uh, just a part of life, that you'd turn on the TV, that you'd watch something like that. And I remember even as a, as a child, there being Billy Graham 
crusades and you would switch over and try to find the show you were wanting to watch. And, and there it'd be uh, Billy Graham preaching the gospel. Yeah. Don't see that quite as much anymore, but no. um, it's, it's wonderful uh, the, the impact that he had. Mm. Well, this is a podcast for the full time, part time volunteer, student ministry worker who invested in you during your teenage years. My teenage years, I went to a Christian school, so that's, you know, in fact, Chris, I'm, I appreciate you teaching uh, Bible to Christian students. I did that for 17 years in Southern California, and probably more somebody invested in me after I graduated, uh, a friend who uh, had a ministry called Making Disciples Ministry. That's where I really became accustomed to talking to people from other religions because we'd go out witnessing. And so he put a lot of time into me there. So I would say not so much in high school, but probably more uh, a few years after that and uh, really kind of discipled me in that sense to be able to help me know that people who belong to the Jehovah's Witnesses, New Age, the Way International, Hare Krishna, and even Mormon uh, are people who are very sincere typically, but unfortunately are sincerely deceived in what is truth. You know, as as we talk about Mormonism today, uh, we're dealing with a group that is classified as a cult. Now, it's not a word that is very popular in today, today's media. So help us understand that. You mentioned some other groups that we put in that same classification. What defines a group as a cult group? Yeah, again, you're right. I don't normally use that word, but uh, it is a group that that says that they are Christian usually. They usually have some kind of doctrine having to do with Jesus. Uh, they believe in God, and yet when you look at their doctrines and teachings, you see that they deny or distort every fundamental teaching of the biblical Christian church. So it doesn't take very far to very much. If you're just a little bit, there's a straight line and you're just a little bit off, it looks pretty good. But the more you go and go and go, the further away it gets. And I think that's the way it is with something like Mormonism. The more you understand about what this religion teaches, the more you say, wow, I can't believe that my Latter-day Saints are taught this. Whether or not they believe it, you never tell a Latter-day Saint what he or she believes. You ask them, what do you believe about blank? But you'll find that typically they're going to agree with their leaders in the teachings that deny uh, what we believe as Christians. Well, Eric, you work with Bill McKeever of Mormonism Research Ministry, which is based in Salt Lake City, Utah. Tell us a little bit about this ministry and what you guys are all about. Well, we operate here out of uh, Utah. Bill originally founded the ministry back in 1979. I started volunteering with him in 1989 in Southern California where we lived. He moved here in 2004. I moved here in 2010. And he and I do this full time. We have a podcast that's called Viewpoint on Mormonism. People can find it on our website, mrm.org, five days a week. We've done over 3,000 shows that can be seen in a catalog, an index that we have. But we have a twofold purpose. One is we want to obviously evangelize. We live in the heart of where Mormonism is. Even though in our county, it's probably one of the lesser percentage-wise uh, uh, numbers as far as Mormons are concerned. Salt Lake City has fewer than 50% Mormons. The state as a whole is about 60%, but we have places that are 80 90%, I mean, in smaller towns. And so a very high concentration of Mormons, and they certainly are in the Western states here as well surrounding us. So we do want, we do a lot of evangelism kinds of things doing that. But also the second main purpose is we want to train Christians to know how to not only understand what Mormonism teaches and not make simple mistakes, 
uh, about what their beliefs are, but then to teach them ways on how they can effectively share Christianity with their LDS friends and family members. That's probably the biggest part of our ministry. We do have a website, mrm.org, that has, it gets about 1,500 hits a day, which is pretty big for a uh, a niche group like ours, uh, because not many people, unless they're interested in Mormonism, will visit us. But we uh, we do have hundreds and hundreds of articles. Uh, we have, uh, as I mentioned, all the podcasts, videos, other material that we think will be beneficial to somebody who wants to better understand what this religion is all about. For those of us working with students, we often get the question from from the the young people that are involved in our ministry of what is a Mormon or how is that different than what we believe? And so I know that we can't get into all of those things today, but could you maybe highlight some of the big ones uh, for us so that we could help our students? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, probably the biggest difference would be who is God? And in Mormonism, God has a body of flesh and bone. Doctrine and Covenants, section 130, verse 22 says that. The idea that God once existed as a human being in another realm, another world, if you will, before he became God of this world. Where that was, some have speculated. One leader said it's nearest the star Kolob. We don't know where that is. In fact, Latter-day Saints don't really know much about that. But what they do know is that God existed as we do now and that he had a God that he worshipped. And then that God had a God that he worshipped and so on and so forth, infinite regression of the gods. God created the universe out of matter that was already there. That's called ex materia creatio, uh, creation by matter already existing. Christianity teaches, and all the monotheistic religions teach, that God creates ex nihilo, out of nothing. Uh, There's a little saying, a little couplet by Lorenzo Snow, the fifth president of the church in 1840. He came up with this, as man is, God once was. As God is, man may be. So the idea that God once existed as a human being, as we are today, as man is, God once was, and then the idea that as God is, man may be, because of a choice that we made in a previous lifetime called the preexistence, when we lived as spirits, God created. He has There's a heavenly mother, and actually polygamy is in the heavenlies, and he physically, heavenly father, created each one of us, and two-thirds of his children chose Jesus and his plan of salvation rather than Lucifer's. Those one-third of our brothers and sisters were cast out of heaven, never to be given a body. But we have a body of flesh and bone, and so we get to go to one of three kingdoms of glory. But the hope for a faithful Latter-day Saint is to not only get baptized and confirmed and go to church and do all the things he's supposed to do, but to go to the temple and to get married or sealed, it's called, for time and eternity, so that not only for this life will they be married, but in the next life they have the chance to be married with their spouse so that they can have their own world just as Heavenly Father did and to be able to create um, these new spirits. The Bible disagrees with that kind of concept. The Bible says in Isaiah 43.10, there is no God before or after God. Isaiah 44, 6 and 8 says, God knows of no other gods. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 90, verse 2, that God is from everlasting to everlasting. And that concept actually agrees with Mormon scripture. They have four scriptures. They have the Bible, the King James Version of the Bible, but they have what's called the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and Pearl of Great Price. And so in the Book of Mormon, in Mosiah 3, 5, and in Moroni 10, it does does teach that, uh, that, excuse me, Moroni 8.18, I got that 
verse wrong. Moroni 8.18 says that God is from everlasting to everlasting. So what's interesting is the Book of Mormon, written before Joseph Smith started to change his theology, oftentimes agrees with what the Bible teaches. But <laughs> if you're going to start with Mormonism and you go to who is God, if that is not the God that I've explained that is the God of Christianity. Yeah, Eric, you know, I, I, listening to that, I mean, that's, you know, I think we hear a lot of what you're saying there. I, one thing I just want to just kind of press in a little bit and just curious about, because you brought it up, you know, monotheism, uh, Christians, right? Uh, we are monotheists. And as a Muslim, uh, or excuse me, Muslims also believe that, but as a Mormon, uh, they claim to be Christians. How do they explain monotheism or would they say that they aren't monotheists? No, no, they would say they're monotheists. And this is a problem. I have a, a glossary in the back to try to help people understand the terms we use. They'll oftentimes agree with. I believe in salvation by grace through faith, for instance, you'll say, and they'll say, yeah, we do too. And, and, and you can talk to a Latter-day Saint without defining your terms and asking them, what do you mean when you say this certain term? But yeah, they, they will call themselves monotheists. They don't really know what that term is oftentimes, but they'll say, yeah, we believe in one God, and they do. They believe that God the Father is the one to worship. Now, Jesus, you pray in his name, but you don't pray to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is a God as well. Jesus is a God. It's tritheism, not monotheism. Or even better, it's not really polytheism, because polytheism is more the worship of multiple gods. Henotheism says... There's only one God whom you worship, but there is the, the uh, existence of other gods. Millions of gods mm. exist. We don't know where they are at. They're out there somewhere, but millions of gods, and they hope to become a god. That's what true salvation in Mormonism is, called exaltation. And so their hope is to become uh, a god. So that's not monotheism in the traditional sense of the monotheistic religions you're mentioning, Judaism. Islam and Christianity. That's helpful. You know, and uh, you know, you bring up uh, multiple times already uh, just something that we as as uh, as followers of Christ, as Christians, need to need to pay attention to is that we can be talking and saying the same words, but meaning completely different things. I, I remember just uh, several several years ago when Mitt Romney was running for president and. Uh, my my mom having a conversation with her. Of course, at that time I was uh, I, I was very young, but I I knew that Mormons claimed to be Christians, but I knew that there were some very big differences there. Um, even though I didn't know what all those were, but I remember my mom, who is uh, an evangelical Christian, loves the Lord. I just remember her saying, you know, well, he's a Christian, you know, so why wouldn't I vote for him? You know, those kind of things, and it just kind of highlighted in my mind that. Yeah, I mean, this is the perception, and it's one that I would assume that they certainly want, but uh, it, it kind of makes us hunker down and say, okay, what are these these key differences? What about Jesus? I'm curious about how they, how they would think about Jesus and explain who he is. You've already kind of touched on that. And I appreciate what you've said, Chris. And I want to make sure everybody who's listening to me understands. I'm talking about speaking the truth in love in Ephesians chapter 4. Mm. The Bible yeah. says that we're supposed to have an answer for everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope we have. But we're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect. So I hope everybody who's hearing me and who would read a book like Introducing Christianity and Mormons realize this is not a book to help you win debates so you can show <laughs> that you're superior. But that, that, that this is all being done in love. Jesus in Mormonism is 
the firstborn, literal firstborn child of God. In this pre-existent state I talked about, the idea that Jesus became the Savior because he was perfect. He never had to come to mortality, this earth, like we have to. There's not, there's not a reason given for that, but that he, some say he attained his perfection at the cross, that uh, he lived the life that he was supposed to. He lived a perfect life, and so he kind of proved himself. Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus was not a created being, that he always was God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Uh, was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, as Christians, we certainly hold to the deity of Christ. We believe in the humanity of Christ as well. Fully God, fully man, 100% of each. The hypostatic union, I talk about that in the chapter on Jesus. I think it's chapter 5. But, uh, yeah, it's, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11, 4, that it's possible to have a false version of Jesus. You mentioned Islam. They believe Jesus is a great prophet of God. Peace be upon him, they'll say. One of the nine greatest prophets of the 124,000. Or uh, uh, the, the Hare Krishna friends that I have, they say Jesus was a great guru. Well, that's a false version of who Jesus was. It's just as wrong to say of, have a false version of Jesus, as it is to have a false version of the gospel, according to Galatians 1, 8, and 9, that anybody who doesn't believe in the true gospel ought to be accursed. Paul was pretty clear with his words that this is important stuff to understand. Doctrine is crucial, and if you if you go off just a little bit on that straight line and you move up, uh, you're going to get further and further away from the truth. You know, now more than ever, we're, we're living in a time where truth is under attack. And, and that's always been the case. I know that, but it matters more and more, especially for our students who we get to preach to and preach the truth week after week, helping them understand what is truth and that it's that, that truth is not, it's, it's outside of them, that there is absolute truth. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm curious, just kind of in this conversation as well, when talking to, you know, a, a Mormon, where, where do we bring in that to the conversation in terms of how do we know what is true? Because we're going to claim that we believe the Bible and the Bible alone is true. They're going to, as you've already mentioned, have several other sources of truth. Yeah, Chris, you have to have a standard. Mormons have four scriptures, plus they have the words of living prophets who speak to them twice a year in April and October for a weekend. And so they certainly have a worldview, we call that, a presupposition, you know, what they've been taught since they were little kids. What do we have as Christians? If we don't have the Bible, all we have is mere opinion. And so we have nothing to really offer once you get rid of the Bible. The, the Mormon uh, will hesitate, even though the Bible is part of his canon. They have uh, what's called the Articles of Faith put together by the founder, Joseph Smith. And the Eighth Article of Faith says that the Bible is true as far as it is translated correctly. So they have a little bit of doubt. They think that there were, they don't really mean translation, they mean transmitted. They think that these corrupt priests came in and changed things. And and so take, taking away the, the true beliefs that died soon after the death of the apostles, there was what's called the great apostasy. And uh, and so it was not restored. The, the church got restored in 1830 with Joseph Smith. So my first two chapters in this book, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, uh, deals with the Bible why do we believe the Bible is God's word? What do we mean when we say inerrant? What do we mean when we say 
that, that it's God's special revelation. We need to understand the evidence for the Bible, I think, so that when somebody criticizes the Bible, and they quote Bart Ehrman all the time, they'll be the ones who say the Bible contradicts itself. We need to be willing to take that and then be able to answer their questions and show them the reliability of the Bible. Until we can show them that, even though that's in their canon, it won't have a whole lot of meaning to them at all. Eric, as, as we've talked about uh, what they believe about God the Father, talk about Jesus, uh, the Word, um, what about the, the church? Or I should say, uh, what that looks like. Uh, we know that there is local congregations, and then they also have temples. Can you explain that to us a little bit? Yeah, so uh, the way it's made is um, you have these groups called wards. They're up to 500 people. If they're smaller than 200, then it's going to be called a branch. And so these are the church body, if you will. They meet at chapels, but they're called wards. And then they put the different wards together into what's called a stake. I think it's like six to eight different wards. So that could be 3,000 people here in Utah, and there'll be a, a main building that usually has the basketball court and the bigger building for big socials and things like that where they would gather. And then they, they do have separate buildings that are called temples. They have 172 of these temples today. And when I lived in San Diego, 1993, San Diego was only the 45th temple. Now they have 172 and the current prophet has announced a hundred temples in the last four years since he took over from the previous president who had died. So he's big on temples and building them. There's one in Bentonville, Arkansas, that will be uh, opening up here at the beginning of 2023. Temple is a special building. You have to have a temple recommend to be able to go in there. What that means is that you're considered to be worthy, that you've been baptized, that you don't drink hot drinks, that you tithe 10%, that you go to church regularly. There's a list of 15 questions you have to answer appropriately, and then you'll get this recommend to be able to go in there. You go in one time for yourself to get married to your spouse for time and eternity, and then the rest of the times that you go there, you're doing work on behalf of the dead. They take verses out of context in the Bible, such as 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Why else are they then baptized for the dead? To show that baptism for the dead is something necessary for people who don't have bodies, so you do this in proxy for them. You get baptized on their behalf, and the hope is that missionaries will come and visit them in spirit prison from paradise and be able to share the good news. So in a sense, they hope that that those people will accept that message. But the temple is a place you cannot go into, you cannot visit, where you could visit one of the chapels you can't visit here. Except in Bentonville, you'll be able to go in when it opens. We don't know when yet. They haven't announced it. Probably between January and April, I'm imagining. They will open that temple for the public, and it will be your only time to go through. It's a silent tour. You're not allowed to ask questions during the tour. At the end, they'll have a few people there that will be able to possibly answer some questions. But they're not telling you all the things that are going on in there because they're sworn to secrecy. They're not allowed to tell you the, they're, what they're doing. They're, they're doing, for instance, they do uh, special handshakes called tokens. And so they learn these different handshakes called the first and second uh, 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 token of the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods, uh, and and they also get new names in the in in the um, temple that day. These are th- and there's a whole bunch of symbolism going on there. They wear special white robes, but you can't know about that. Your latter day, it's not even appropriate to ask your Mormon friend what goes on in there because they have been sworn that they will not tell anybody. So it's a very important place. If people want to learn more, they can go to sacredorsecret.com, which is a website that attaches to mrm.org. 
and they can learn more about the temple. But I would say for those of you who live in Arkansas, make sure you're prepared for that open house because they typically will grow in their numbers when a temple open house happens because people look and they go, this is a great place and they're all about families and they believe in Jesus. I hate to see people convert to Mormonism without having the full information. Hey, Eric, do you think, uh, this is just a curious question, just off the cuff. Do you think that, like you just said, the whole, uh, the secrecy and, and even like the sacred, do you think that is strategic in a sense of drawing people in because people tend to be naturally drawn toward that which is secret? Oh, that's a good point, uh, uh, Chris. And I, I would say, yeah, I think that has something to do with it. But they've always, if you, if, well, I'll, I'll tell you, if you really want to see what goes on in there, if you're that curious, you can go on to YouTube. There's a guy that's a former Mormon who went through with a video camera, secretly mm. put in his, uh, I mean, he, he strategically put it, and he taped everything. It's called wow. New Name Noah is his one word name. That was his new name at the day that he got married was <laughs> Noah. So wow. New Name Noah. And you can go and you can you can watch all of these things. And when you see what they do in there, it has nothing to do with Jesus. It has it has very little to do with God. I mean, it's it's just uh, so you have to understand. Joseph Smith was a uh, high ranking. I think it was a 32nd or was the 33rd degree uh, Mason. And so mm-hmm. what he did is he instilled Masonry into his religion and so much of what the 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 symbols in their in their temples actually and in their clothing their undergarments are symbols that a mason would understand and he'd understand the handshakes as well masons are not allowed to talk either and i know you know where you guys live in the south i know masonry is a pretty big thing it's not so big here in utah but uh but masonry has a direct connection to mormonism and if people said you got to be kidding me. You mean you go in there to learn these handshakes that are called tokens? I, uh, you know, and, and then you go up to a curtain and you have to give the right handshakes. And if you don't, you get you don't get pulled through to get into the best room of all in the temple called the celestial room. It represents uh, the very top of the three kingdoms. Uh, this is where godhood will take place. I mean, it, it for for some people that would not be very appealing. But you're right. Well, get them to join, and they have to wait a year before they can actually go into a temple. A lot of Mormons who, who do that the first time, they are shocked what they see. Nobody told them because not even their mom is allowed to tell them what goes on in there. They're going to have to find oh, wow. out for themselves. Yeah. I know a lot of people, uh, former Mormons, who said, I went to the temple one time and that was the only time I went. Getting married, I would never go back because it freaked them out so badly. Well, Eric... You've shared a lot with us today, and for those that haven't taken the time or just haven't had the opportunity to study and to look into some of these things, you know, there's a lot of information that we need to absorb and and to look through. But one of the big things that we need advice on is helping our students. How do we help our students as they reach out to their Mormon friends with the gospel? And this is what I would say to Chris, who's teaching Bible to seniors right now. It's so vital that they learn how to own their own faith. That was my mantra when I taught apologetics in 11th grade uh, to high school Christian students because a lot of them borrow mommy and daddy's faith and it doesn't get them very far. Mm, So certainly stress, you know, uh, for whatever people are doing in churches, I think it's important to have playtime and, you know, pizza and all of that. But take special interest in their minds because these kids are not dumb. I teach high school students across the street 
from uh, uh, our high, our local high school. Uh, we meet once a week. Uh, we call it seminary, which is seminary in, in Mormonism is high school. They, they go right. off campus to a place where they actually learn the things of their religion. And so we have a Christian seminary. And I stress this all the time because they're going to graduate. And if they haven't really learned how to understand what Christianity is and the powerful case that we have, then I think we're missing the boat. Then I think it's also important, though, and I do this with my students, especially here in Utah, is to teach them what the predominant other religions are in your area and make sure they understand appropriately what those religions are and understand why those are different than what biblical Christianity teaches. You've also released a book, Mormonism 101 for Teens, Yes, um, the religion of the Latter Day Saints simplified. Um, is that uh, still available? Yes, it is available on Amazon. You can go there and order that. Uh, that book is uh, a, a simpler version, if you will, of a book that Bill and I wrote in 2015 called Mormonism 101. Uh, that was uh, published by Baker. This was self-published, the 101 for teens. Uh, but I am writing specifically to to uh, anywhere from 12 to 20 to explain what Mormonism is, but also to understand how do you relate to your LDS friends? What do I do when they invite me to church? Because that's big. Or should I go to the dance? Because they have dances on Saturday nights. Uh, But to go a second time, you have to have missionaries come and visit. How does that all work? I I talk about those kinds of issues that would pertain specifically to teenagers. Having worked with teens for many, many years now, uh, I think that we need need to have them understand what this religion is all about and not just pretend it doesn't exist because doing that is doing no service to our children. Well, Eric, if someone is wanting to pick up a copy of Introducing Christianity to Mormons, uh, where's the best place for them to, to look? I, I have links on a website called introducingchristianity.com. It should be easy to remember if you can remember the first two words of my title. Uh, it goes to our website. On the top, I have links to amazon.com. Christianbooks.com right now has a really good price on the book. Barnesandnoble.com. And so those are great places where somebody could pick it up. And I hope people will read because what I'm going to do in that book is more focus on what Christianity is and how we can explain that in a way that somebody would with a LDS worldview could understand. Well, Eric, again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Chris, do you have anything else for Eric? Eric, not to go into a whole new thing, but I would love to hear just as, as we finish up, you just, I think it's apparent that this is an important conversation, but I don't know if we often think about why this is so important. Obviously, as you've already said, we're, we're, we're sharing the truth in love with gentleness. Um, we, we have a tendency, I know, just as human beings to, to tend to see the worst in other people and, mm-hmm. and not remember what we truly believe that, that they are image bearers of God um, and that, that we treat people with dignity and respect. But the, the, the question here is help us understand that this is not an isolated worldview, but that it's really expansive in terms of where they are in the world. And so I would love for you to just kind of tell us real quick where they are in the pecking order of worldviews, of world religions, and why it's important for us to pay attention to this subject. Well, I mean, if you look at, there's five major ways to view uh, God. And uh, probably, uh, 
I mean, finite goatism might be uh, uh, the term. Uh, the, they're, they're very closely related in a lot of ways to Hinduism. Think about it. What you did in a previous life, it called the pre-existence, and you don't remember that, determined where you would be born on this earth. You were born according to merit. And so, uh, and the idea that you could become as God, you could become a God yourself. I mean, isn't that kind of what pantheism teaches? Uh, the, you know, the, the idea that uh, you have that potential, certainly not a Christian teaching. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it certainly, I would say it relates more to pantheism more than it does to monotheism. And uh, Latter-day Saints can argue that point. But uh, like I say, the, the idea of who God is is so completely different. The way that you get salvation is based on your works. That's just like any other religion. They ask the question, what is it that I have to do for God? Mormonism has a whole list of checkboxes that you're supposed to do. And Christianity asks a much different question. Instead of asking, what do we do for God? It asks, what did God do for me? That makes all the difference in the world. That's good. Thank you. But Eric, as, as a quick follow-up, uh, how pervasive is Mormonism in America? Oh, uh, it's not as big as it is throughout the rest of the world. About five or six years ago, there are now more Mormons outside the United States than inside the United States. But yes, it is still, even though the Mormons are have slowed down their growth com- uh, completely, they, uh, COVID did not do them any favors, uh, and people are leaving the church in droves because people are finding out about true history. Even the church has come out with a series of essays between 2013 to 2015 called the Gospel Topics Essays that admitted to things that Mormons never knew before, but the internet was so pervasive they had to they had to counter all that information by telling the truth finally, explaining that Joseph Smith did have 30 to 40 wives, explaining that Joseph Smith used a magic seer stone in a hat to translate the Book of Mormon, uh, and other things like that really has caused a big uh, shift for a lot of people leaving the church. But they love the South, and that's why you in Arkansas are going to get a temple. They're building like crazy temples in the South. I think right now they're probably building about six temples in your in your neck of the woods and the Bible Belt out of all places. And so, yes, it is Utah, Arizona, Idaho, um, uh, Montana, uh, even California. California has more Mormons in that state than any other state but Utah. So in the West, we have a bigger percentage. But trust me, the Mormons are into missionary work. They have uh, over 50,000 missionaries serving two-year or one-and-a-half-year missions, depending if they're uh, male or female, and uh, they focus a lot on people who call themselves Christians. More than half of all their converts, by the way, come from a Christian background or Catholic wow. background. And so uh, they love it when you say, I'm a Christian. They'll say, well, so are we. Can we come inside and show you some lessons? And mm-hmm. if you, they catch people at the right time uh, and show them love, and they, they have a great social network. Uh, they uh, they provide for their own. They have what's called the Bishop Storehouse. They'll give them food if they're in need. They'll pay their bills if they're in struggle. I mean, we can learn a lot of things from the Mormons. I, I think uh, they do some things really well, but that's not a good reason to join a church just because you're having your temporary needs taken care of. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Uh, to give us a better understanding of this group and what they believe, and for us to, to learn a little bit more about your book, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, A Practical and Comparative Guide to What the Bible Teaches. Listeners, I want to say thank you for, for joining us in this conversation as we've had the opportunity uh, to learn today and to talk about things that we need to know as we work with the young people in our churches and in our communities. Let me encourage you to just keep 
going forward. Keep moving and keep working because student ministry matters. Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.